You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit Stonegate-Church.com. All right, good morning. Good to see everybody. My name is Travis, and uh, I am one of the pastors here over home groups, and I also preach once a year. So this is my week, once a year. Dan, Dan Hutchins has um, the uh, low attendance Sundays. Valentine has the random Sundays, and I get, I get once a year. So, And I'm, I'm actually good with once a year, and, and here's why. Uh, one, I'm not, I'm not called to preach, and two, preaching is really, really hard. Like Preaching is it's like a beatdown during the week, trying to prepare a sermon, trying to write it in such a way that makes sense, um, trying to make it cohesive. Um, there's like a spiritual sort of thing that kind of went on with me this week. I'm talking about making disciples, and I had moments this week where I'm like, am I a disciple? Like, am I, am I good? Just spiritually, it's crazy. I told, I told some, a group of guys on Thursday, because of this spiritual thing that is, is, is present, I will never preach on parenting, because I feel like if I were to preach on parenting, as I'm preaching, my kids would be doing drugs out in the parking lot. Like, there's just something heavy about preaching. And so, um, I, man, I want to encourage us all. Our primary preacher here um, is our lead pastor, Rodney Hobbs, and I want to encourage us all. I think there's a couple ways where we could serve Rodney really well. Uh, the first is praying for him, and not just on Sunday mornings. Um, man, Wednesdays are kind of, those are going to be his days where he just, he tries to unplug from the world so he can prepare a sermon. He's going to take some of Friday and try to, try to uh, work on it. And, and here's the thing, he's not just working on this coming Sunday, he's working on like three, four, five months out as well. I mean, there's just a lot that goes into what he does. Um, and then on Saturday nights, he kind of unplugs from his family, about seven or eight, pl- unplugs from the world and just makes final tweaks and prays over it. And so not just on a Sunday morning do we need to pray for him, but, but I think praying for him throughout the week would be really well, really good. And then the other thing is, is uh, as I said, Wednesday is kind of his primary day that he's going to just really try to unplug. If you're free on Wednesday and you're thinking, I wonder, man, I got nothing going on right now. I think I'm going to call Rodney and just check in and see what's going on with him. Just wait. Find him on a Sunday. Like try to stay out of his hair. Um, if you're just wanting to shoot the breeze... Wait till Sunday to shoot the breeze with him. I think give him space. I think that's, those are two ways we can serve Rodney will, really well. Because I think we'd all agree that he serves us really well on a Sunday. Right? Amen? Yeah. So trying to, trying to uh, serve him by giving him time in prayer uh, so he can continue to serve us on, on Sunday mornings here. So a couple, couple, uh, couple encouragements there. So I grew up in a little town in um, southern Kansas. Sports was a huge, huge uh, thing in, in our life. Um, grew up in our Kansas City, Kansas. My family um, was all about sports, played, played all the sports. And if you grew up in, in that region, in the 80s and 90s, if you grew up in like Kansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, Iowa, Colorado, kind of in that, that mid, Midwestern region there, um, and you played baseball, if you grew up in the 80s or 90s there and you played baseball, there's probably a chance you wanted to play at Wichita State. But Wichita State had one of the premier uh, baseball programs in, the, in that time. I think in 1988, they were one game 
one game away from playing in the championship game. 89, they won a national championship, beat the University of Texas. Uh, 91, yeah, no jabs, just, just saying. Um, 90, 91, uh, played the championship game. 92 was in Omaha. Just, just really good tradition. And when in that conference, there's nothing. It's one mission. Omaha and win a national championship. We all in here have a mission as well. All of us right now, our life is on mission for something. We all have a mission, whether that's to, to, to build um, a great business, whether that's to climb the corporate ladder. We all have a mission. And here's the thing with mission. Our activities are driven out of this mission. And so for me at Wichita State, I went to class because of the mission. I'd love to say that I, want, I love to learn and educate myself. Man, I went to class so I could stay eligible because of the mission, right? I stayed out of trouble because of the mission. Uh, the, the mission drove the way I worked out, the way I lifted, the way I ran, the way I practiced. The mission drove my activities, and it's, and it's the same with us today. Our mission, whether, whether, you, whether you are able to articulate a clear mission or not, we have a mission, and out of that mission comes what we do. Out of that mission comes what we do. Now, Christians in the room, we have been given a mission. We have a really clearly defined mission. Like, like when I was at Wichita State, it, there was no, uh, like that was the thing. Christians, we have that as well. Jesus gives us a clear mission. And his mission is this. Go and make disciples. That's his clear mission. It's not muddied. It's pretty clear. Go and make disciples. So I want to spend the rest of the time this morning uh, talking about discipleship. So first I want to look at what a disciple is and, 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 and maybe more importantly what a disciple looks like. So definition of a disciple, really sterile definition, a, defin- a, a Christian is a disciple. So if you're a Christian in here, you are a disciple. There's no, there's no like limit. There's, there's, there's no like if, if you're not this mature, you're not a disciple. But once you get over this maturity level, then you'll be considered a disciple. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Um, second thing is um, in, in, uh, the word disciple in the Greek is transla- translated student or learner of Jesus. So a disciple is, is a Christian who's a student or learner of Jesus. Now, let's, let's give a little bit more of a robust, robust picture of, of, of what a disciple is. Let's turn to Luke 14. And I think it should be on the screen. We'll start in uh, verse 25. Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and he said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So let's, I want to see two things in in these couple verses. The first thing is that a large crowd is accompanying Jesus. The commentaries that I, that I read uh, kind of primarily talked about the makeup of this crowd had, had three types of people. The first type of person was somebody that was like legit about following Jesus. Like it wasn't a show, it was legit. They were following Jesus. The second type of of people in this crowd was those that were following Jesus because everybody else was doing it. Kind of got swept up. They looked around, everyone else is following this guy, and so they're all in. They're going to follow him too. And then the third type of person um, is, is somebody that's following Jesus 
because of maybe what he can get. Not, not because of Jesus, but maybe he can get something from Jesus. And one of my, one, one of my fears and one of my observations is I think this might, be a, uh, this might be a barrier to discipleship. This consumeristic Christianity that sometimes we get on. Like we come to Jesus not to get Jesus, but what he could maybe give us. Like we love Jesus a little, but we love what he can give us a lot. And, and I fear some of us come to Jesus with this mindset. So if you're, if, you know, you come to, you're trying to, you're trying to build a business or maybe your business is just in the tank. It's like, you, I'm going to Jesus, not because I really love him or maybe don't even like him, but I think if I go to Jesus, he can fix my business. Or, or maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're lonely and you've kind of see that Christian, you've seen Christians hang out and they seem like they love each other and things look good and you're lonely and it's like, I, I want that. And so I think the way to get that is I'll go through Jesus. You don't really love Jesus. You don't really like Jesus. You just don't want to be lonely anymore. Or maybe you're empty. You're searching after things that are just, they're just crushing you. Like you're, you're, you're miserable and you want this misery to end. So what do you do? You go to Jesus, right? So the, these things are good. Don't hear me saying that these gifts that Jesus gives are, are not good. They're good. Like when you come to Christ, and the gifts he gives you, man, it'll blow you away. Like, he is really, really good. But you come to Christ, but those gifts are a byproduct of coming to Christ, not the prime product. We don't make Jesus a means to our end. He is the end. And there's a huge difference. And this is one of the barriers to discipleship, that we just kind of like Jesus. He's, just, he's like in our top five. He's not number one. He's in our top five. So Jesus then goes after him. Jesus starts going after this group of people. He sees this group of people and he goes after them. And this is what he says to them. Basically, this is what Jesus says. If you want to be my disciple, I must be ultimate in your life. Like if you want to be my disciple, you've got to lay down your life. You have to love me so much that it actually looks like you hate your mother and your brother and your father and your sister. Yes, even your own life. Like, if you want to follow me, you've got to sell out for me. I'm not just like the walls of your house. I'm the foundation. I am ultimate. If you want to be my disciple, you have to push all your chips in. That's, that's what a disciple does. Pushes all his chips in. I love how Paris Reedhead says this. Paris Reedhead was a missionary and teacher in the 40s and 50s. And he says this. It should be on the screen. Dear friends... There's only one reason, one reason for a sinner to repent, and that's because Jesus Christ deserves the worship and adoration and the love and the obedience of his heart. Not because he'll go to heaven. If the only reason you repented, dear friend, was to keep out of hell, all you are trying to do is serve God because he'll do you good. But a repentant heart is a heart that has seen something of the enormity of the crime of playing God and denying the just and righteous God the worship and obedience that he deserves. Why should a sinner repent? Because God deserves the obedience and the love that he's refused to give him. And in my own life, the more that I have seen the, the depth of my sin, the more that I've seen my rebellious heart, the more that I've seen my, my self-righteousness, the more that I've seen the, the way that I love to play God in my life, the more I have seen the depth of my sin. But then at the same time, the more I have seen God's grace to me, like his grace poured out to me over and over and over and over again. Like the more that I've seen these two things, 
the greater my love for Jesus has become. Like once I saw the depth of my sin, but at the same time saw the depth of his, his grace towards me, like it was then and only then was I able to push my chips all the way in and say, I'm in on you. Like I'll follow you regardless. I am all in. And it was only then. It was only when I saw the magnitude of my sin and the goodness of God to me in Christ was I, was I able to push my chips all in and to be a disciple that, that, that Jesus kind of portrays there. Now, I've got a long ways to go. I fall short a lot. But, man, my chips are in. My chips are in. Okay, what does a disciple do? As we saw in Matthew 28, uh, a disciple is to make more disciples. And how does this happen? So let's go um, again, Matthew 28, verse 18. We see two directives after Jesus says to go make disciples. Two directives. Baptize and teach. So Jesus says, go make disciples, and he says, baptize and teach. So let's start first with the baptizing. We'll go to Romans 10, verses 13 and 14. And it should be on the screen. So baptism is a public proclamation by an individual who is saved. Baptism does not save you. Baptism is a public proclamation saying, I am a Christian. I love Jesus. I'm saved. That's, that's what baptism represents. So I want to go to Romans 10, verses 13 and 14, and kind of work from the, from the baptism back a little bit so we can see our role in making disciples on, on this side of things. So Romans 10, verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So whoever's in that baptism, that baptismal on a Sunday morning has been saved. At some point prior to that time getting baptized, they have called on the name of the Lord and they have been saved. Verse 14, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? So for those of you now in the room that, that um, may maybe have never believed, you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, maybe, maybe you are trying to save yourself. Maybe you're trying to avoid God by doing a lot of good things, like moral living, coming to church a lot. Maybe you're trying to avoid God or save yourself by, by being really moral and being really good. Or maybe you're on the other end of the spectrum where you're trying to avoid God by rebellious living. You're trying to find true freedom through rebellious living, which, which we all know is not, is not freedom, it's slavery. So, so if you're in the room and you have never trusted in Jesus, like you've never believed, like you've never placed your trust in him, man, today would be a great day to do that. Today would be an awesome day to, to, to say, I'm stopping to, I'm, no more am I avoiding you, Jesus. I'm done. I'm not going to try to work my way. I'm not going to try to save myself through moral living. I'm not trying to find freedom through, through rebellious living. Today, Jesus, I call on your name. Today would be a great day to do that. And, and, and if, you're, if you do that this morning, come up and find me. Come up and find Rodney. We have people in the back um, at a prayer table later. Man, tell us this good news so we can celebrate with you. Okay, second part of 14. And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So church, this is our role. Baptism, calling on the name of the Lord. How can they call on the name of the Lord if they haven't believed? 
And how, how can they believe if they've never heard? Church, this is our role, to go proclaim the good news of the gospel. This is, this side of make, this is one part of making disciples. By engaging neighbors, by getting to know coworkers, by getting to know people that you're around frequently, and proclaiming the good news of the gospel. And so, a couple questions. Like, are you around unbelievers? Have you, have you uh, put yourself in a position where you, you have unbelievers in your life? And then if you have, are you having conversations with them? Are you praying for them? Are you talking about spiritual things? Rodney talked about the top five uh, a couple weeks ago. Like, do you have a top five list that you are passionately praying to the Lord that he would save? Like, God, save these people. Is that going on in your life? I, I think something practically, an area that I've really grown in, I think I shared it with, with you guys um, last year when I preached, once, <laughs> once a year. <laughs> Rodney has like sermon prep days. I have sermon prep year. Like, it'll take me six months to get over today and six months to prepare my next sermon. So I think I, I think I shared last time I preached that, man, I blew it. A year and a half ago, I absolutely blew this. I was around a, uh, a few guys on a consistent basis, and man, just blew it. Just was not bold, just really, really, um, yeah, really humbling. So I'm growing in this. Like, I am really working hard to grow in this idea of how do we engage lost people? How does this become normal? And so maybe some practical things that I have seen um, over, over the last little bit here that has just been really fruitful for me. As you get to know people, I think the normal social, social interaction kind of is, you know, you learn to know, you, you get to know their name. You, you learn about maybe where they're from originally. What, tell me about your kids. Do you have kids? Tell me about your family. Tell me about your spouse. You know, what do you, what do, you, what do, you do for your hobbies? Like, what do, you, what do you do in your free time? Just normal interaction like this. Here's what I've seen. People want to talk about spiritual things. Like almost everybody that I've encountered, man, they're, they're game to talk spiritual things. Like they want to. And so as you're in the rhythm of asking them about themselves, where you're from originally, what do you, what do, you do in your free time? Where do you stand spiritually? Like that question doesn't have to be like this weird sort of thing. Like we don't need this aha moment to start talking about Jesus. You can just throw out some questions to get the talk going in, spiritual, in, in, a, in a spiritual way. So just simply asking somebody, where do you stand spiritually? And here's another thing that I've learned. When you ask that question, you're going to get pro- probably one of two responses. So the first response, and I've seen a lot of these. A majority of them have been this. The first response is they, they start sharing with you where they're at spiritually Dialogue is open. They don't, they don't freak out on you. It's normal conversation. View that as an open door and, and take a step in and maybe start asking more, more questions. Maybe, maybe ask specifically like, okay, so um, where, do you st- where do you stand with Jesus? Like, what do you believe in Jesus? And if, and if they share and conversation's good and they're not breaking out in hives and everything's normal, walk, walk through the door again. And just keep walking through doors. If they're willing to engage Keep asking questions. Get to Jesus. Like, get to the gospel. It doesn't have to be on, on the first time you have this conversation. It might be over a period of time. But, but talk about Jesus. I, I visited with a guy yesterday. Trevor had a seven-on-seven football tournament. And uh, one of the dads had, had kind of known a little bit, but got to talking to him yesterday and just asked, where are you at spiritually? And he looked at me and says, I'm glad you asked. 
like, didn't freak out on me. And he's big. He's like 6'2". He's a huge dude. He didn't freak out on me. He, he just said, uh, man, I'm glad you asked. So my wife and I were coming back from a date night uh, a couple weeks ago. Um, and we were driving through Cedar Hill, and we stopped off at Best Buy uh, to get her computer. It had blown up, not, not, done, not doing well. So we, we go into Best Buy and um, go up to the Geek Squad counter and ask, you know, hey, can we get our computer? And the guy that was at the counter looks at a young guy and kind of waves him over to, to help us. And as he's walking up, I'm thinking, man, I have seen that guy from somewhere. I've seen him, I've seen him somewhere. So he gets up, takes our name, takes our information. And then I just said, hey... Um, are you from Midlothian by chance? He said, yeah, actually I am. So by the way, I'm not, I'm not, I didn't go to the geek squad to share the gospel, right? This is just form, normal interaction. So I said, are you from Midlothian? He said, yes, I am. And so then I'm trying to place, where do I know him from? Where have I seen him? And I just threw out, have you ever been to the Lighthouse? That's a, a coffee bar in, here in town. And he said, uh, yeah, I used to work there. And so I'm thinking, that's it. That's where I know him from. Well, uh, he used to work there five years ago. I wasn't around here five years ago, so we thinking, dang it, that's not it. So I asked this question. I said, have you ever been to Stonegate Church? And he gives the, uh, <laughs> no, not doing that thing. Not doing that church thing. And so I just asked, how come? Bad, you know, bad experience? And he, man, he just throws up on us. He just starts sharing. He, he just starts sharing. And so I see an open door, and I take a step, and then we start talking more. I said, okay, uh, you know, I know you had a bad experience at church. Like, where, where are you at with, like, God? Like, in Jesus, where, where are you at and all that? And he shares. And then take another step. Long story short, at the end of the, at the, end of the conversation, when we're talking about Jesus and how Jesus saved, it was, it was awesome. I don't think he had any aha moments. I don't think God saved him in that moment. But just a picture of people want to talk about spiritual things. Just, just ask them. Get in conversation. And if, and if you're thinking, man, I've known this person for like seven years. How do I now come around? And I think that's easy. Hey, I've, I've never asked you where you're at spiritually. What, what do you believe? Like it doesn't have to be hard. It can be re- relatively easy. I love what Max Stiles says about this topic. Max Stiles has written several books. Uh, I've read a couple here recently. They're, they're, they're wonderful on evangelism. This is what he says. It should be on the screen. I long for a church that understands that it, the local church, is the chosen and best method of evangelism. I long for a church where the Christians are so in love with Jesus that when they go about the regular time of worship, they become an image of the gospel. I long for a church that disarms with love, not entertainment, and lives out countercultural confidence in the power of the gospel. I long for a church where the greatest celebrations happen over those who share their faith, and the heroes are those who risk their reputations to evangelize. Man, that, that verse fires me up. That fires me up. So the first part of disciple making, this idea of baptizing, that's like this engaging a lost people. Okay, so that's the first side. Second thing Jesus talks about. He says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. Or this is going, through, going at the idea of like maturing people in the faith. Like salvation, baptizing, proclaiming the gospel, and then when you're around believers, maybe they, they become a Christian and now walking with them or getting walked with to, to, to maturity and faith. So we see Jesus, he, he kind of had like three, like three areas that he really focused on, or three areas that he discipled people. The first one is information transfer. Like he taught his disciples there was a, uh, he was teaching, he was directing, there was like this information, this transfer of information. 
The second way that we see Jesus did it is he, he invited this crew, his crew of disciples to come with him on mission and do ministry. Kind of an apprentice type thing. And then the third thing is we see that he sent them out. He multiplied disciples. So he gave them transfer of information. Then he brought them with him so they could see how it's done. And then he multiplied them. Uh, you'll hear the uh, terminology around Stonegate Gospel community mission, and this is kind of a picture of that. The gospel, proclaiming the good news, uh, talking to believers how the gospel applies to everyday life, this idea of transfer of information, and then the community in mission is the second part here of the uh, kind of the apprenticeship. Like in community, the 12, Jesus got the 12 together, community, and they went on mission and did ministry together. So this is kind of the picture we see Jesus, how he matured disciples. He gave them information. He said, come with me. And then eventually he multiplied them out. So um, I, I take pretty serious uh, my call as a uh, husband and father to, to disciple my family. So we work really hard at, at discipling our family. Um, so this is one of the rhythms that my family's in right now. We get up early in the morning. Uh, I get the three kids up early in the morning. And um, do our devotion time early in the morning. Our, our evenings are an absolute nightmare right now. Like, they're, they're the biggest zoo ever. And so we do it in the morning. So I get them out of bed, and they get to the couch, and we're just going through the New City Catechism right now. It's been really fruitful. Um, and so uh, two weeks ago, I told my daughter uh, on a Monday, I said, go and clean your room. That, that thing is a pigsty. I got a seven-year-old daughter named Ellie. I said, go and clean that room. That is a pigsty. Now, I want to give you a picture of what discipleship, if, if, if discipleship was just transfer of information, and that's all it was, which I think some of us think that is. Like, let's just meet with somebody for one hour a week and give them information and they should grow. I want to give you a, a, a picture of maybe how this is not so true. So I told her to go to her room and clean it. She stops and looks at me. And again, if, if discipleship was just transfer of information, this is what Ellie would have said to me. Father on earth, I know that I am created to glorify God. And I also know that I am um, called to work at everything with all my heart and soul and strength. I'm called to work really hard for God and not for man. And so I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to clean that room for God's glory and my good. And she would have skipped down the hall singing a worship song, right? That's how it would have played out if, if, if it's just transfer of information. Okay, but here's what happened. Here's what she said. And this is why it's so critical that we're like around, like it's not just a inf- transfer of information maybe once, or, once a week or every other week. So here's what she said. She stopped. She looked at me. And she said this, I guess I'll go clean my room and takes off. Now, if, if, all I, if all I did as I discipled my kids was 15 minutes in the morning or maybe 30 minutes in the morning, so I, we got them up, we did discipleship, I gave them information, and then I said, I'll see you tomorrow morning at the same time and didn't see them. And gave more information. And said, I'll see you again the next morning. I would never see this, this like sarcastic, punky like attitude come up. Like I would have never seen that. And so I would not have been able to address her idolatry. 
And so I, we would be sitting in a sterile environment giving her information. And all the while I'm thinking, man, my, my daughter is maturing. But yet I actually do life with my daughter. And she's sarcastic and a little punk sometimes. <laughs> so this is the idea of discipleship. It's more than just information transfer, right? She gets that from her mother, by the way, that sarcasm. <laughs> okay, practically, how's this play out? I think there might be two, two, two kind of categories of people right now in here. The first category says, okay, I see that we're called to, 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 to like help people mature. I see that I'm called to invest in people and to like give them information and then bring them with me, like do life with them and, 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 and help mature people in the faith. But there's no way I can do that. Like I've got no shot to make and mature disciples because I've never been discipled. Like, you, you cannot expect me to go do that when I'm in, immature in my faith. So if you're in that group, take heart, because we've got home groups at Stonegate, right? We've got home groups. So if that's you, if you're thinking, I've never been discipled, um, I, don't, I don't know how to read my Bible, I don't know what repentance looks like, I'm immature in my faith, here's what I want you to do. I want you to find the home group, home group nearest to your house if you need help. Email me, call me, text me, message me, but find a home group, get to that home group, and then pull aside the home group leader and say this, I need to mature in my faith. I need someone to walk with me. I need someone to teach me how to read the Bible. I need someone to teach me how to pray. I need to learn how the gospel applies to everyday life. I need to learn how to repent. Like I need to grow in my faith. Can somebody walk with me and pour into me? And it will either be that home group leader or somebody in the home group. But we'll find someone to pour into you. We'll find someone to help you mature in your faith. Don't, don't let the fact that you have never been discipled or that you're immature in your faith, don't, don't, don't let that keep you on the sidelines. Don't let it keep you on the sidelines. The second group are those that are in here that, that are mature in your faith. Like you've been discipled. You've been discipled. You, you know how to read scripture. You, 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 know how to, uh, you know and have an idea of repentance and how the gospel applies to everyday life. I would ask you then, are you pouring into somebody? Like, are you really intentionally pouring into people? Are you in a discipleship type relationship? So often our discipling looks like this. You pouring into somebody and they also pour into you. Occasionally, a, a, a mature believer just pours 99% into a young believer. Occasionally we get that, but so often they're, 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 they're like we, we sharpen each other as we do this. So if you're in the mature side, are you pouring into somebody or are you in a relation, uh, discipling relationships with a couple people? And I think a lot of us are thinking this right now. There's, n- there's no shot. There's no way. Have you, you, you have no idea about my schedule. Like I'm really, really busy. I no shot to do that. I have no shot to like get in a, in, a, in, a, in a discipling relationship where they can pour into me. And I have no time at all where I can go pour into somebody else. Just it, it ain't going to happen. Here's what I would encourage you to do. Get an Excel spreadsheet. Put the days of the week and every hour or every minute of the day and log it. Take a log. Figure out what you're really doing throughout the week. Log every minute of the day and what you're doing. And here's what I'm guessing you're going to find out. That at the end of the week, when you look at your, at your sheet, you're probably going to see that you actually have some, some time in your week. Like, you could, 
maybe pull out a couple things that are just a waste of time. And you could probably find three, maybe five hours a week in your week to actually like go start making disciples. And some, some of you might be thinking, nope, I've done that. I've got five extra minutes in my week. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Get another sheet of paper out and write your priorities on them. Here's what I think most of Christians will write. This is, this is, this is our, we'll write this in theory, this is true. God, family, work. Most, most, most Christians are going to put God, family, work. Take those priorities, look at your schedule and see if those line up. See if legitimately that's what's going on. Right? So what, so what happens is we, have, we, we know we're called to make disciples, but we have what's called mission drift. We, we figure out another mission in our life. And that's where our time goes. That's where our energies go. So instead of, the, uh, instead of pouring into people, instead of engaging lost people, we get mission drift and it becomes our work. and becomes our kids. and becomes all sorts of things other than the mission. And so make a schedule. Or maybe realign your priorities. But I think we all can have time to find a way to make disciples. And by the way, we're, we're, we're in this, like I'm right in the middle of all this craziness in life. My wife went back to work. Sharice went back to work um, this year after staying home with our kids for 11 years. She's getting her master's. So Tuesday and Thursday nights, she's out completely, right? That's called hot dog and McDonald's night. She's, she's out completely on Tuesday and Thursdays, and then she's studying, and my kids are in sports, and I've got stuff going on, so I, I don't want to make it look like I'm standing up here, and you know, I've got 20 hours, like I don't do anything else but that. Like We're in the middle of craziness too, and so I have empathy for you, but I also want to challenge you. I also want to challenge that if our mission is to make disciples, we need to tweak some things. We need to make sure we're following through on that. Okay, now I want to talk about motivation. Motivation and encouragement to make disciples. Let's look at verse 18 of Matthew, and then we'll look at the end of verse 20. Matthew 18 says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And verse 20 ends with this, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So here's our motivation. Here's our encouragement to make disciples. We are not called to save people. So when you're thinking about engaging lost people, we are not called to save people. God saves people. He has the authority to save people. We just need to be faithful to go proclaim the gospel. The second thing, we are not on the hook to make sure people are sanctified. God does the growing. God does the maturing. We just need to be really, really obedient and enter into some of these relationships and walk with people. Like we cannot force somebody to grow in their faith, but we can position ourselves in such a way to help them. We don't save people. God does the saving. And we don't sanctify people. God does the sanctifying. I love the illustration and this idea of all authority has been given to him and he's with us to the end of the age. Uh, I lo- the illustration of a game, right? God is saying to us, come play the game with me. Come play this game with me. And here's the great thing about this game that he's asked us to enter in, this game of discipleship. 
The referee is Jesus. The, our coach is Jesus. And our quarterback is Jesus. So you know what this means? We win the game. Like, we are going to win this game. It's a done deal. The, score, the score's already been turned in. But God says, come play with me anyways. I have authority. I'm with you to the end of the age. The game is rigged. You win, but come with me and play along. Play our part in being faithful. Play your part in being faithful to proclaim the gospel. Play your part as being faithful just to pour into people and to get into these discipling relationships. Play your part. The game's been won. Let's go play. And I end with this. Um, as I said, I went to Wichita State and I got my bachelor's degree in general studies. There's like some of you like. <laughs> I did not say I got my master's in divinity from Redeemer Seminary. I got my bachelor's degree in general studies from not the Wichita State University, but just from Wichita State University. Um, in, in, the, in chapter 4 of Acts, uh, it talks about the people looking at the disciples and saying this, that they were uneducated in common. The, the disciples, the, the perception of the other people is like, man, these people are uneducated in common. And if you look at that phrase in the dictionary, next to that phrase, uneducated in common, is a life-size portrait of me smiling broadly. Because I'm telling you, I am uneducated in common. I have no seminary background. I have no formal training in ministry. I don't have any of that. If you were to hang around me for a week, you would not walk away thinking, wow, that dude, is, his skill set is off the charts. Like, he's really gifted. You would not walk away saying that. You would, I'm as uneducated in common as a guy can get. I coached baseball for 11 years. How hard is that, Right? Throw the ball. I'm uneducated in common. Now, here's the thing. Any and all movement towards maturity in Christ, any and all movement in in growing in pastoral ministry, any and all movement in growing towards um, evangelism or mission, any and all movement that I've ever seen in my life, and I've got a long ways to go, but any movement that I've ever seen in my life is not due to some formal education, is not due to me being really gifted. It's due to me being discipled. And so, here's how this played out for me. January 1998, a guy by the name of Les Norman proclaims the gospel to me on a Tuesday morning. The next Tuesday morning, God saves me. And then, I was, and then God was really, really gracious to me to put me in discipling relationships with many men. So I started with Kevin, Mike Lasarde and Kevin Seitzer, and then Tony Jones and Jeff Binghouse and Jim Goodrich and Dan Fitzgerald and Dan Hutchins and Rodney Hobbs and, and Casey and, and Valentine and Dan Hefner and a whole host of home group guys and a whole host of home group leaders. And any movement that I made is because of those guys, because of discipleship, because of discipleship. So here's my prayer for, for Stonegate, for the people of Stonegate. That we, would, that we would see that the way you change a person, that the way people are changed, that the way families are changed, the way communities are changed, uh, the way neighborhoods are changed, the way states are changed, that they're changed not by some grand program, but by discipleship. By discipleship. 
And I pray that we would take the call that Jesus gave us in Matthew 28 to go, therefore, and make disciples, that we would take that call really seriously. Let's pray. So I want to give uh, a couple, couple minutes just to, I think the best thing would be to practically think about um, what your mission is. Not in theory, but practically what sort of mission you're on. And if there has been mission drift in your life, I pray that this morning would be a, a, a morning that you recalibrate. That you read Matthew 28 and that you take that really serious. That that, that is not a suggestion, but that's a command. And for those of you that, that don't know Jesus, today would be a great day for you to call out to the name of the Lord And to join this mission. So Father we. um, We are so thankful for you. And your work in us. And Father I want to pray. That all of us in here would take the command to go make disciples really seriously. That we'd be comforted and encouraged because you have all authority and that you're with us. I pray, Father, that you would realign our our mission, that where we have seen mission drift, that you would get us back on the right track. And Father, I am so grateful for the work you've done in my life. Through simple discipleship. So Father we need you in all of this. We pray that you would do this. It's in Jesus name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church. Located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources. As well as information about our church please visit us at stonegate-church.com.